Well, hey, welcome to our first Chi Alpha of spring quarter. Can you guys believe we're in the, the last quarter of the year? That's crazy. Well, hey, my name is Brandon, and if you don't know me, uh, I'm one of the directors here in Chi Alpha. And I'm really fired up about the weather. Anybody else fired up about seeing the sun? Spring weather is golf weather, which gets me fired up. Evan, where's Evan? Let's go. Golf season, baby. I'm super excited. Hey, speaking of spring, did you guys have a good spring break? We had some teams go on SBO trips. Did you guys have a good time? If I had a great time. I had a great time. Hey, if you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say SBO, uh, something we do is spring break outreach every single year, which uh, what we do is we go to other campuses during our spring break, and we uh, do a week of evangelism out there, and we share with our students the hope that they can have in Jesus. I was a part of the CSU team, uh, so we got to go to Colorado State, which was awesome. We also went to the University of Idaho. I didn't personally go, but uh, our ministry went to University of Idaho and then also Montana State University. Isn't that awesome? I've been hearing so many like great things, just hearing about what God's doing. I'm just really proud of you guys. It sounds like God has done a lot. Have you guys ever wondered why we as Christians go on mission trips? Hopefully you're not wondering that now, after your trip. We're just asking a question. Why, why is it that we're called to a mission lifestyle? Ever wondered that? Well, it's because God himself is a missionary. You ever thought about that? God himself is a missionary. And he's been on mission and he's continuing to be on mission. And so this quarter, with that in mind, we have titled our series, Joining God's Story. So we are going to be going through the journey of the biblical story and learning about how God is inviting his, inviting his people to join his story. We're going to be studying stories of how God uses people like Abraham and Moses and Jonah, how he uses Jesus and also Paul to fulfill his mission and his story. But before we jump into those stories, uh, we need to ask the question, why is God on mission? What is God's story, and how are humans involved in it? So will you join with me in praying? Jesus, we love you and want to know more about you, and uh, we're hungry to learn more from your word. So God, I pray that you would uh, speak to us tonight and use me, Lord, for your glory. I pray that we would learn a lot about you, Lord, and that you would just reveal even more of yourself uh, to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm going to welcome up or have our Bible passers come on up. Uh, if you know, guys, you guys should know the drill by now. Uh, if you don't have a Bible tonight, please raise your hand. We'd love to give it to you. If you don't have a Bible with you here at Central, we don't want it back. Please keep it. It is our gift to you. Hi, Ethan. Hey, do you guys like stories? Okay, I love stories. I, I was a film and video studies major, so I'm like all about it. Hey, what up? I love good stories. You guys know that almost every single great story always starts with an introduction of the characters and also the setting to where the story takes place. So if we think about like one of the best movies of all time, you know, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, you know, very early on in the film, we learn about Frodo and Sam and Gandalf. We learn about our villain Sauron and we like learn about the ring too and how the ring of power plays a role in the story. If we think about Star Wars, uh, I'm going to use episode seven because that's my favorite episode. That's my freezing cold take of the night. That was, that was, my, that was very freezing cold. That was, got no reaction. 
I love episode seven. So in episode seven, we were introduced to Ray and Finn and then also Kylo Ren. Man, you guys can't even handle this. I love that movie. I love that movie. That's okay. Okay, how about this one? Okay, you guys like Infinity War? Meredith, you should have edited that out of my message. Come on. Okay, in Infinity War, there's like a million main characters. So I could spend like all night talking about the main characters. But in Infinity War, we're introduced to Thanos as the villain, probably one of the best villains. Uh, and he, we, we figure out his story, how he's trying to literally annihilate like half of the population. Every great story starts with an introduction of its characters and the setting. And so tonight we're going to take a look, and we're going to take a look at the introduction of the biblical story and meet our main characters, God, mankind, and the devil. And we're going to ask the question, why is God on mission, and how are we involved? So please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to re- read the first 13 verses. Uh, but before we jump into that, it's really important for us to understand what Genesis is trying to do. What is the purpose of the book of Genesis? Well, Genesis was written by Moses after the Exodus. And Genesis is like theology 101 to the Israelites. They're asking questions like, who is God? Who just like delivered us from the slavery and oppression? Who are we? What is this struggle with evil that we're going through? There's a lot of questions they were likely asking. And so the Bible takes on many linguistic forms if you study it deeply. And in the intro to Genesis, which we're going to be reading tonight, is a form of, uh, it's called a polemic. And so what a polemic is trying to do is it's aggressively teaching against the current teaching of the time to reveal truth. So as we kind of jump into Genesis, let's be thinking about that. The goal of Genesis is to reveal truth and to argue against the current thinking of the time. So join with me as we start in reading in verse 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Verse 9. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit, with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plant-bearing seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the third day. So we're introduced to our first main character of the Bible. He's really the main character of the whole Bible, and it's God. So what do we learn about God in these first 13 verses? Well, we learn that he's the creator of the world, and that he brings order to the chaos. Did you notice that? Our author writes that the earth was formless and empty. Now, the Hebrew imagery, imagery for this was chaotic. Like, this is like chaos. There was no form. The earth had nothing to fill. It was in total chaos. God comes, and he brings form to the formless, and he fills this empty void. 
the first thing we learn about God is that he brings order to creation. We're going to learn more about the we're going to learn more about the Lord tonight. Uh, but that's like some of the first things that we notice. Uh, turn with me to verse 26 through 28, and we're going to meet our next main character, mankind. So starting in uh, verse 26, same chapter. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Okay, I might be biased, but I think this is one of the best passages in all of Scripture. If you haven't underlined it, I would totally underline it. I'd start, I'd memorize it, say it 100 times a day. Because what do we learn about humans? What do we learn about mankind? We learn that we're created by God. Not only that, but we're also made in his very image. What does that mean, to be created in the image of God? Well, in the biblical days, an image of something was thought to have that thing's power or essence. So what Moses is writing here to his audience is he's saying that they have the essence of God in them. He's saying that they are called by the Lord to rule the earth with him. It's crazy to spread his love and take care of his good creation. They're co-rulers with God. You guys remember how in the beginning I talked about Genesis is written as a polemic. It's, it's arguing against the popular teaching at the time. Well, this statement about mankind being created in the image of God, co-ruling with God, would have been like, what? To the Israelites at the time. Because this directly argued against what was being currently taught in the ancient Near East religions at the time. And those religions, they believed that humans were nothing more than slaves or pawns of the gods. And the gods could do whatever they wanted with the humans because humans were just created to serve them. Think about that as your identity statement. I'm a pawn of a god. The Israelites literally would be living in fear if anything ever happened in their life because they would be like, I just angered a god and I have no idea how to please him or her. I, I have no idea. They were constantly living in fear. Think of how low they must have thought of themselves. And Genesis comes in and says, no. You're created by God to bring God glory, and he wants to partner with you on this earth to cultivate it and rule it, and he loves you. Think about how powerful that is, like the king of the world, the creator of all things, the one who brings order. He is literally creates humans to be in his image. Isn't that amazing? And he creates us to rule alongside him. Did you know that you were created with authority to rule on this planet? Did you know that going to class and, and learning this skill and your, your major and, and literally going out into the workplace and bettering the planet is honoring God? It's imaging God. It's bringing rule to this planet in God's image. You know that when we hang out with our friends and we love people and we serve people and we act like Jesus to our friends, you're co-ruling with God on this planet. God wants to partner with humans in ruling. Last quarter, we talked about trials and suffering and challenges, and we agreed that I don't think we're perfectly ruling this planet right now. Wh why is that? Wh why is 
there's so much brokenness. Why, why is it that we're not fully imaging God on our planet? Why is our earth messed up? Why is there division? Why is sickness happening? Why is all this stuff going down? In Genesis 2, uh, we're introduced to our first uh, human character in the biblical story named Adam. And Adam lives in the garden that the Lord creates. And Adam is really lonely, and so God creates a woman for Adam. And this is where we get the first godly image of marriage. And God gives Adam and Eve one command. He says, don't eat from the tree of good and evil. Sounds simple enough, right? Just don't eat from that tree. Makes sense? Like, God has created humans. He's created marriage. He's brought in order. It's like, yo, I wouldn't have had life without you. Like, I'm going to trust you. And then he gives them a command and says that the knowledge of good and evil is not to be touched. It's not for them. Seems simple enough, right? God gets to say in his creation. Well, let's take a look at Genesis 3 and see what happens. We'll read verses 1 through 7. We're going to meet our next main character. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. We're introduced to our first, our, our third main character, our, uh, our enemy, our villain of the story, and that's the serpent. We know him as Satan. Uh, the devil, and what is he doing when he enters into the scene here? The serpent comes in, and he starts to deceive Adam and Eve, and he tries to get them to question God's judgment and character. Did God really say that? Did he really say that? He comes in, and he questions God's character. He says this, he says this phrase, when you eat it, you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. What's he inviting them to? Be your own God. Take authority. Why Why not? Look at this fruit. It looks great. You can have God's wisdom. You should, do, you should take it. And I think that Moses is trying to, like, hammer in the irony here, like, when he's writing this. Like, how ironic is it that humans are already like God? They're literally already like God. They're created in his image. They're filled with the essence of the Lord. The, the serpent comes in, and he tries to confuse Adam and Eve that knowing and deciding what is good as evil is for them, too, to know. You can take from this. You can know good and evil. You should almost certainly die. God wants humans to trust his judgment of what is good and what is evil instead of taking that godlike power into their own hands. God wants them to trust his judgment. Wants Adam and Eve to trust his judgment of what is good, what is evil. Trust the Lord. Don't take that into your own hands. Humans are to be like God, but not God-like. Humans are to be like God, but not God-like. What do I mean by that? 
Well, being like God means speaking, living, and acting like the Lord, right? We talked about 2 Corinthians 5.20, that we're ambassadors of Christ. Like, we rep Jesus' jersey on campus. Like, we are the highest legal authority of our king on our campus. When we act and when we live and when we speak like Jesus, we're being like God. We're showing the world him. But being God-like means that we take authority into our own hands that belongs to the Lord alone. You guys understand what I'm getting at here? Let's come back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, how do they respond? Well, they take the fruit, they eat from it, and they directly disobey the one command that the Lord had given them. And through this act, we get sin and rebellion that's brought into the world. The image of God has fallen. The relationship between God and the relationships between man and woman are broken forever. And to be honest, it, it may be easy to kind of read this and be like, dude, it's a fruit. Like, is it really that big of a deal? Is it that big of a disobedience? This is a massive disobedience, guys. God gave Adam and Eve literally everything. You can rule this planet. I'll be with you. We've got seed-bearing plants. This thing is beautiful. Like, we've got lions aren't trying to kill you. Like, this planet is amazing. Go rule in my image. The one thing is you just can't be God can't be me. And humans go, that's not good enough. When sin entered the world, it ushered in the era of opposing kingdoms. Our main, our villain comes in and says, you should image me instead. You should listen to me. We literally introduced to the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light right away. You guys see that? Right away, Genesis 3 introduces a battle for whom mankind is going to image. Will they image their creator who is good, who is just, who is loving, who is holy? Or will they image the serpent who is directly opposed to God and them? There's a battle for who you will image. Are you aware that this battle still exists today? Have we not all been tempted to give into the temptation of, does God really say that? Is God really trustworthy of that? Does, does God really get to speak into that area of your life? Is God, is God really trustworthy in that? Like, that part of the Bible makes sense. Yeah, that part makes sense. Don't talk to me about that. I don't want to talk about that. Haven't we all been tempted to believe that? Haven't we all listened to that lie? Have we not all been tempted... Let's just be honest tonight. Have we all not been tempted to believe we know better than God? Lord have mercy. <laughs> uh, the thing for me right now that, that the, Lord, the Lord is working on me uh, is my concept of rest and what it looks like when I rest. Uh, I like to scroll on my phone. I like to go on walks, you know. Uh, walking isn't bad. Uh, but the Lord is like, hey, I want to spend time with you today. Like, you know, you know that... You know that you should spend time with me today. I want to speak to you through my Bible. I, want, I need you to seek me in prayer today. I want to spend time with you. And I'm like, I'm going to play Xbox, though. <laughs> like, I'm going to play Xbox. <laughs> now, I know that it's good, and I know that I'm supposed to spend time with Jesus. John 15, man, remain in that vine. Like, I know that it's good, and, and the reality is I'm wrong every single time. Like, every time I spend time with the Lord, I'm always refreshed. 
I always receive that spiritual rest I need. Can I ask, how do you wrestle with God's authority in your life? How are you tempted to doubt his goodness, to doubt his authority? How are you tempted to say, I'll take this. I'll have authority over this, not you, Lord. How do we wrestle with God's authority? The question we pose in the beginning is, is why is God on mission? Well, guys, God is on mission because there's now a mission field. There's now a kingdom of darkness waging war against the kingdom of light. There's a battle for who mankind is going to image, the serpent or the creator God. How's the Lord going to respond to this? Like, how's God going to respond? I gave you one thing, one thing not to do. You did it. Is he going to be mad, shake his head, move on, say, I've given up on you, have fun? Or is he going to do something else about it? Take a look at uh, Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15 with me. So same chapter, chapter 3, 14 through 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, deceiver, cursed are you above all livestock and all all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It takes God eight verses after the rebellion to already speak hope into mankind. Eight verses. You guys know who the Lord is speaking about when he says he will crush your head. I don't think he's talking about all snakes. You know, I don't like snakes. He's talking directly to the serpent. He's talking directly to Satan and says there will be one who will come and he will crush your head. He's prophesying about the coming of Jesus Christ, his son. Eight verses in, Jesus is prophesied about. God directly speaks here. He says that one day the serpent will be fully destroyed by the offspring of woman, but that the serpent will take a nip at the heel of that offspring. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus is the one that took the nip on the heel. He's the one that came on the cross. He's the one that died the death we deserve. 1 John 3, 8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's why he came. What was the devil's work? The devil wanted to tempt all mankind into eternal rebellion against God. Jesus says, I'll have none of that. The payment for rebellion was paid by Jesus. Who will we look to? We look to him or we look to ourselves. We know that the final destruction of the devil will come, uh, but right now the battle is still waging war. We've talked about this before, like Jesus paid the price for sin, but we're still in a battle. Jesus has not returned a second time, and he's going to. So let me ask, why is it that God responds to mankind's rebellion this way? Is he just like trying to flex on the serpent? Like, is he just trying to flex on the devil? Like, nah, I don't have to find a word. Or, or is there something deeper going on in the heart of our main character? In John three sixteen through 17, John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For God wanted to flex on Satan? No. He says, for God so loved the world. Guys, you are so stinking loved. Do you know that? God loves you so much. That's why he's on mission. He's motivated by love. He knows and loves us, and he knows he's the only one worthy of worship and obedience, and he is coming after you. I'm really excited to continue our series and and actually look at how God uses uh, biblical characters and how he wants to use us too. It's going to be really awesome to see how he uses mankind to rule and accomplish his mission of reconciling the world to him. Uh, Tim shared something really powerful with me this week uh, while we were on SBO. Uh, He talked about how uh, CSU, you guys had a conversation about when you witness to something, when you give witness to something or someone, it means you've experienced that and you've you've tasted it yourself, right? So it'd be kind of weird if I was like, hey, you should go to this taco truck or you should go to this restaurant. The food is amazing. And you're like, what should I order? And I go, oh, I've never ate there before. You'd be like, wait, wait, what? How can we be on mission for the Lord if if we haven't tasted his grace? How can we be on mission if we haven't tasted the freedom that God gives us? How can I proclaim God's freedom from the kingdom of darkness if if I haven't experienced that yet myself? We're talking about joining God's story this quarter. Well, step one to joining God's story is recognizing and acknowledging our brokenness and our rebellion. Have you truly understood your need for the Lord? Have you truly understood that you need saving? Maybe you're new tonight or you're new to understanding Christianity, and maybe you've thought before that Christians believe they're better than everybody else. That is the farthest from the truth. True followers of Jesus believe quite the opposite. We acknowledge our brokenness. We acknowledge our rebellion outside of God. It doesn't mean we suck. It doesn't mean that we should love each other, but we have to acknowledge that outside of God, we are broken. We are in rebellion. We're not hotshots that are trying to make our way to heaven on our own. That's, that's, we're not about that. So as we conclude tonight, worship team, you guys can come on up. I want to ask, what did we learn tonight about our main characters? Intro to the biblical story, what did we learn about our main characters? Well, we learned about God, and we learned that he is the creator of the world, that he uh, he creates order. We've learned that he is highly relational, he's loving and just, and he's on mission to bring humanity back into his kingdom. What do we learn about humans? Well, we learned that we're created in the very image of God. We learned that we have rebelled and decided to image the serpent at one point or another in our lives, and we're totally in need of saving. What do we learn about the enemy? What we learned about the devil is that he's an enemy of God and an enemy of man. We learned he's a deceiver, a tempter, and a liar. We learned that he will be fully destroyed one day. So as we kind of officially conclude, I just have a couple application questions for us tonight to reflect on. Uh, The first one is pretty simple. What did you learn tonight about our main characters? learn anything new, anything that stood out to you tonight? What is something that you learned about our main characters? 
Uh, and the second question is, I just want to ask, how is the devil trying to deceive you right now? As good biblical scholars, we understand that we're still in a war. We've transferred outside of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light if we believe in Jesus. But we still have an enemy trying to lie, trying to tempt, and trying to deceive us into rebellion. And he's going to keep trying that. So how is he trying to deceive you today? And then last but not least, I just want to ask, how is God growing his image in you? Maybe you went on SBO and the Lord really stretched you, or maybe you just had a really restful uh, spring break and had some time to reflect on this year. Uh, how is God growing his image in you? How is he making and transforming you to be more like him? As we reflect on those questions, I'll pass it off to the worship team.